Next on Contemplate. If we want to understand the story of everything, if we want to understand why things went so wrong and we want to know whether there's any hope in this world that is now got so many issues, we have to understand that things started out correctly, that God created things the way that they were supposed to be. As we continue the true story of everything, we're going to learn some powerful truth about how we know and experience God. Please turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, and here's Pastor David with today's episode, recorded live at Acts Church. So, the first brick in the house that we're building here, in the true story of everything, is that there is a God who's eternal and all-powerful, okay? That's our first brick. Now, we believe this based off the evidence, and here's what our argument looks like. This is called the Kalam cosmological argument, okay? You can practice saying that 10 times fast after service. The Kalam cosmological argument says this, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause right? Very simple. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe is one of those things that began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. Most people understand this argument without needing an argument to name it, right? Um, This is something that I think most of us know intuitively. Uh, Philosophers and theologians and folks like that like to sometimes overcomplicate things that seem really obvious to the rest of us, uh, that the universe has a beginning and therefore it must have a cause, I think is something we just get as human beings. We just understand that. Um, In fact, it's, it's so obvious to me and I think to many people that the Bible says this in Psalm 14, 1, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I'm not mentioning this verse to offend atheists. If you don't happen to believe in God, you know, that's my intent is not to offend you. I'm just trying to make something clear. This argument, the cosmological argument, among with a lot of other evidences, I'm not going to go through all the evidences and arguments for the existence of God, but they are powerful arguments in their logic and reasonableness. Take faith out of it for a second. In their logic and reasonableness, in the science, in the evidence, the argument for the existence of God is very, very strong. Those who try to play it as though, and you've probably been on the internet or Facebook or whatever, and, and, and somebody will come on and be like, oh, you know, you believe in fairy tales, blah, 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 blah. Those, those aren't arguments. Those are just hurtful words. Um, those are just things that you're saying to try to caricature an argument or, or make it seem like it's dumb to believe something. But the simple fact is, no matter what anybody says, Belief in God is reasonable, not just faith, but reasonable, very, very reasonable. Um, Okay, so we don't want to get the story of everything without getting our first brick in place that there's a God, right? Um, And that God created the universe. Now, I understand that this argument by itself does not give us certainty that the God that created the universe is the God talked about here in the Bible. I understand that. We're going to get to that as we move forward, as we tell the whole story, you'll see why we believe that the God of the Bible is in fact the God that must exist and and must have created the universe, okay? It is worth noting, however, that before science proved it, the Bible mentions that the universe had a beginning. 
because they could have, like many people have, assumed that the universe was eternal, even if they believed in God, that God and the universe were eternal things, right? That, that would be easy for them to believe. The fact that they mention that the universe has a beginning suggests that this may have been inspired rather than something that they just came up with, okay? Um, it's nice when science catches up with the Bible. I always, you know, it's good. And so um, it's also interesting to make note of the fact that the Bible refers to God as a caring and loving God. And if you had been alive thousands of years ago, when this was written, you, the last thing that you would have assumed about the person who created the universe was that he was loving and caring. Because most of life was pain, especially back then. Most of life was pain. C.S. Lewis says this, however did human beings attribute the universe to the activity of a wise and good creator? All of the great religions were first preached and long practiced in a world without chloroform. Now, we don't use chloroform anymore, um, but it's an anesthetic, okay? It takes pain away. And Lewis is saying that these people lived in tremendous pain. Most of their life was dictated by pain. Lifespans were short, you know, things were rough, okay? And they didn't even have good ways to relieve pain like we have it now. And so why, if that was the experience of their life, would they assume that the God who created the universe was good rather than thinking that he wasn't very nice at all? Why would they think that? We'll come back to that, but it's something to think about that might suggest that there's something more to this book than meets the eye. Okay, so this is also the first place in the story of everything where we talk about Jesus, the Son of God. In the Gospel of John, uh, John 1, right at the beginning of it, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word. Let's talk about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We'll talk later about why we believe this passage is true, but it's important to the story, true story of everything, that you understand that Jesus is eternal and creator, that Jesus is God. You have to understand that part, okay? So let's see what happens next in the story. Uh, I'm not going to read through all of the first chapter of Genesis, but basically God calls light into being, forms the earth, creates the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, all of these things. And then he creates something different from all of those things. Something different. This is uh, in chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, First thing to recognize about this, about the true story of everything, is that humans were made in the image and likeness of God. And that separates them from all these other created things. You know, I don't have time to unpack the majesty and glory of the notion that you and I were created in the image and likeness of God. There's a lot there but I've only got three hours to do this sermon, and so I want to keep going. 
Um, but here's the, here's the important point, okay? Humans are undeniably distinct from the rest of creation, including animals. Okay? Undeniably distinct, different. Any big story, any story of everything that equates human beings with animals is inconsistent with the story that we read here. Okay, so if, if in the end, if when we're done, you come to the conclusion that the Bible is true, you cannot also hold the view that humans are just another type of animal. Cannot be true. It's very clear that humans were distinct and created in the image and likeness of God. Okay, uh, this section of, of scripture here at the beginning of Genesis also describes God's relationship with Adam and Eve. That he, that he intended to know them. He loved them. He created them. This was an act of love, his creation, right? Um, and he also intended them to have a relationship with one another. So intended them to have a relationship with him, intended them to have a relationship with one another. Let's look at um, a couple parts of chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then down in verse 21, it says this, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So basically, God made man, and he was like, eh, he made woman, right? So, so he could do better. Um, but what we have here is we're, we're told that he created male and female, right? And we know that the first one was made from one of Adam's ribs. She was literally of his flesh. Uh, my son, when he was very young... Uh, heard, heard this story, this Bible story. Later in the week, he had a pain in his side, and he yelled out to, to my wife, Mom, Mom, I think I'm having a wife. And so um, that didn't really happen. I totally made that. Did not make it up, actually. Found it in a book. Totally not my son, so, you know. Um, after these things that God's created, the, the plants and the animals and, and all these things, it says that he saw what he had created, and it was good. But after he created man and woman and had finished his creation, in chapter 1, verse 31, it says this, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. In order to understand the big story, the true story of everything, we have to concentrate on several things. Here's some of them. God created the universe. He created it perfectly. And he created us to take care of the earth. That's the, that's the first thing, Right? Talked about taking dominion, right? He, he put us in charge of the earth. Now, people understand these things intuitively. They understand them in, inside. We understand that we're supposed to take care of the earth, right? Um, those who practice life force religions uh, oftentimes care a lot about nature and stewardship of the earth. They feel this natural draw towards it. Now, I'm telling you, in the, the, my story of everything, not my story, the story, the true story of everything, gives an answer for that, a coherent, comprehensive answer for why you feel like you should take care of the earth, right? Because God made us that way. But there's a problem. If you revere nature too much, it leads to disorder, just as if you revere it too little. If you turn nature, that which was created, into God, 
then you got a problem. And some people do take it too far. They take love of nature or the desire or need to care for nature and they, and they worship nature as though it were God, but it's not God. It's not God. Uh, to the Christ follower, nature is God's creation. Something important, but something less than what we as humans are who are made in this image and likeness. G.K. Chesterton uh, said this. The main point of Christianity was this, that nature is not our mother. Nature is our sister. We can be proud of our beauty since we have the same father, but she has no authority over us. We have to admire, but not to imitate. This gives to the typically Christian pleasure in this earth a strange touch of lightness that is almost frivolity. Nature was a solemn mother to the worshipers of Isis and Sybil. Nature was a solemn mother to Wordsworth or to Emerson, but nature is not a solemn is not solemn to Francis of Assisi or to George Herbert. To St. Francis, nature is a sister, and even a younger sister, a little dancing sister to be laughed at as well as loved. Nature is not God. Nature is not God. In the true story of everything, nature has its place. It's created. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. When he created it, it was perfect. And we were to care for it. That's why we feel that desire. And we feel like it's right that we should not destroy the earth that God gave us to care for. But it is not God itself. Okay? The next thing is that God created us for relationship with him. That is why people look to experience the divine. They look to experience God. Even if they think God is nature or a life force or an energy, they're still looking for those experiences. They want to connect with that which is beyond themselves. That's where that desire comes from because God created us to be in relationship with him. It's also why we want to be with each other because God created us for relationship as we saw with each other. And so that's why uh, we have a morality, even those who don't believe anything in the Bible still have this morality that says we ought to be kind to one another. We ought not to harm one another. Love is a good thing. We ought to love one another. Well, where does that come from? It comes from here because God created us to be in these relationships with him and with one another. This is at the base of the true story of everything, that God created the world, that he created it perfectly that we're supposed to take care of nature, be in relationship with him, and be in relationship with one another. Okay? If we want to understand the story of everything, if we want to understand why things went so wrong, and we want to know whether there's any hope in this world that has now got so many issues, we have to understand that things started out correctly, that God created things the way that they were supposed to be. Now, um, why am I taking the time over several weeks to go and tell this whole story? Because I believe a lot of people are truly seeking God, but I also believe that a lot of people have given up on trying to make sense of the big story. And they've sort of traded real knowledge of God for experiences of the divine, for experiences, right? Um, we use words like theology, to explain the study of God. Ultimately, what we really mean is we want to know the truth about who God is and who we are. We want to know the story. We want to know the true story. We want to know how it works together. That's all theology means, right? Um, because we only see part of the story. We only see our part. It's, it's hard to get beyond that, so we've got to study to press to get ourselves a bigger piece of the story and understand eternality eternity and relationship with God. At the end of the day, I want you to know God, to know him. Not to have experienced him somewhere, not to have seen uh, or felt something, but to know God. 
God has been patient with us. He's been patient with us humans. He understands why some of us have hesitated to get involved with Christianity or believe in the Bible because of our past experiences being hurt by people who claim to believe those things. He does understand that. He knows who you are. He knows what you've been through. He understands that. Um, he understands that the actions of people who have, who have claimed his name have sometimes been evil, sometimes very evil. But here's the thing. We have to dig in and press into the true story about everything in order to have a comprehensive, coherent worldview. God is calling us back. He's calling us back to understand who he truly is. It's time to put aside all those things that have kept us from really pressing in to who he is and really come to know who God is. Experiences are nice, but they aren't the real thing. They aren't the full story, right? I'm going to read you a passage from an author, C.S. Lewis, and, and this is what he says. It's kind of a long passage, so just bear with me, but, but listen closely. In a way, I quite understand why some people are put off by theology. I remember once when I had been giving a talk to the RAF, an old hard-bitten officer got up and said, I've no use for all that stuff, but mind you, I'm a religious man too. I know there's a God. I felt him out alone in the desert at night, the tremendous mystery. And that's just why I don't believe all your neat little dogmas and formulas about him. To anyone who's met the real thing, they all seem so petty and pedantic and unreal. Now, in a sense, I quite agreed with that man. I think he had probably had a real experience of God in the desert. And when he turned from that experience to the Christian creeds, I think he really was turning from something real to something less real. In the same way, if a man has once looked at the Atlantic from the beach and then goes and looks at a map of the Atlantic, he also will be turning from something real to something less real. Turning from real waves to a bit of colored paper. But here comes the point. The map is admittedly only colored paper, but there are two things you have to remember about it. In the first place, it is based on what hundreds and thousands of people have found out by sailing the real Atlantic. In that way, it has behind it masses of experience just as real as the one you could have from the beach. Only while yours would be a single glimpse, the map fits all those different experiences together. In the second place, if you want to go anywhere, the map is absolutely necessary. As long as you are content with walks on the beach... Your own glimpses are far more fun than looking at a map. But the map is going to be more use than walks on the beach if you want to get to Canada. Now, theology is like the map. Merely learning and thinking about the Christian doctrines, if you stop there, is less real and less exciting than the sort of thing my friend got in the desert. Doctrines are not God. They are only a kind of map. But that map is based on the experience of hundreds of people who really were in touch with God. Experiences compared with which any thrills or pious feelings you and I are likely to get on our own are very, very elementary and very confused. And secondly, if you want to get any further, you must use the map. You see, what happened to that man in the desert may have been real, and it was certainly exciting, but nothing comes of it. It leads nowhere. There's nothing to do about it. In fact, that is just why a vague religion all about feeling God in nature and so on is so attractive. It is all thrills and no work, like watching the waves from the beach. But you will not get to Newfoundland by studying the Atlantic that way, and you will not get eternal life by simply feeling the presence of God in flowers or music. Neither will you get anywhere by looking at maps without going to sea, nor will you be very safe if you go to sea without a map. In other words, theology is practical. 
especially now. For a great many of the ideas about God which are trotted out as novelties today are simply the ones which real theologians tried centuries ago and rejected. To believe in the popular religion is retrogression, like believing the earth is flat. Here's the thing. God is calling us from the shadow to the substance. He's calling us from being on the outside and having these experiences but not wanting to press in to truly coming in and knowing him. See, any relationship that's worthwhile requires work. It requires work. If I simply went home from time to time and looked at my wife and said, oh, she's beautiful and that makes me feel good inside and then went away, that wouldn't be much of a relationship, right? That's not a relationship. That's just me getting some sort of experience and moving on. There's no accountability, there's no, there's no growth, there's no knowledge. But so many folks these days, because of their experiences, they like to get sort of the, the, the form of, of spirituality. Uh, yeah, I, I'm spiritual, I, I know God, I've felt him, and so on but they don't want to truly know who he is. The reason we're talking about the true story of everything is because if you really want to know God, you really want to press into him, you really want to know who he is, you really want to experience real relationship, you got to do more than go feel good when you look at Mount Hood. You just do. It doesn't mean that when you look at Mount Hood and feel good, it's not God that's there in that moment. It very well may be that he's speaking to you in that moment, but he's not speaking to you in that city. He's drawing you in, into relationship into something more. The creeds, the doctrines, the theology, you know, studying the book uh, that, that, that we have here, this Bible, can sometimes maybe be boring. You know? Sometimes things are hard work, but anything worthwhile, any relationship worth having, is worth working at. And God has called us into that. He wants to know us. He wants us to seek him out. Like your spouse wants you to see them, like your friends, like your children want you to care about them and know who they are and press into that relationship. God also has designed all those to show you what the relationship with you and him is supposed to be like, that you're supposed to press into it and know it. Not have some vague spirituality. There's a reason why you're drawn in that way. It's to point you to the real thing. It's to point you to the real thing. So, for chapter one of the story of everything, we learned that God created the heavens and the earth, the plants, the animals, and humans, right? Man and woman. And it was good. Next time we'll find out what went wrong. That's some powerful truth about knowing God, isn't it? And if you have questions about a real relationship with God instead of just more feelings, Come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. We'd love to help you know the truth that really will set you free. Get easy directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. As Pastor David said, next time we'll start to learn what went wrong, and I hope you'll join us here on Contemplate. Contemplate.